Hey, hey, this is Sean with Atlanta Tennis Podcast, where every conversation starts with tennis, but may not end with tennis. We're in the Rejuvenate studio in Duluth, Georgia. And this episode, we talk with Kip Cobb, and we will get to that in just a minute. But right now, I'd like to thank our previous guest, who is actually the owner of the Rejuvenate Studios in Duluth, Georgia, and full disclosure, my wife, so I'm a little bit biased. But we spoke with her, and we'll get you to that link in the links below, and you can check that out when you get the chance. If you are interested in listening to our conversation with that, like I said, we'll put the links below, and we'll make sure all of that is available to you. With me today, as always, is Bobby Schindler. We're recording in the studio just outside of Atlanta, which is why we call this thing the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. We definitely do not limit ourselves to talk exclusively about Atlanta tennis, but that's where we live, so that's where we're going to start. Bobby, how's it going? All right, Sean, how are you today? I'm doing okay. We got Kip here as well. We'll say hi to him, but I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to give Kip no chance put him completely on the spot. And we're going to pretend we didn't send him an email ahead of time. And we're just going to throw him right onto the spot. Who are you and why do we care? And Kip Cobb, uh, raised uh, in the Atlanta tennis market. Um, probably started playing when was four or five years old. Both parents played. Just grew up around the game, had some fantastic coaches and, and just lived and loved the Atlanta tennis scene for a long time, 47 years old now. 47 years old. I wouldn't have brought up how old I am. I mean, I'm only 33. That, that's right. Uh, well, so, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. good. I think Bobby's 33 as well. I, I'm obviously um, the granddad in this. Picture, so, <laughs> so you, you grew up playing in Atlanta. Yes, I did. Born and okay. raised. And I know that we're, you, you know, the, that's a rarity now. Not a I lot of too. people are from. Yeah, that's right. There, there's not many of us left, brother. Bobby was uh, left? up north, right? I grew up on Long Island, New York, yes. Oh, Long Island tennis. That's a different thing. Completely, but I'm a southerner since 17. I went south, went to the warmth in Texas, and have never left the south since. So, Okay, so you're like me, with, a, with less of the accent of that sounding out. like you're from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> it will come out. I'm trying. I'm going to be good. From time to time, right? Time to time. Exactly. I like it. So, so Kip, you said four years old you started tennis? Was that? Yeah, started playing at four. Remember kind of picking That's up a racket. Awesome. Um, don't know if you remember Terminus um, down in, in, in the Marietta, uh, Windy Hill area. Oh, that then way too far away from me. Be, yeah, then spun off to Atlanta Health and Racket Club. So I remember having a racket in my hand early on. My mom was a double-A player. Um, my dad was an A player. Remember them coming home and, I mean, grabbing the tennis racket and swinging around the living room. No telling how many things I broke in the living room back then. Because that was I'm a full-size sure. racket now. They didn't have junior rackets back then. That's the same thing. I started at nine, full-size racket. Now we have all the, the fancy new equipment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like it. So yeah. you, your parents were tennis players. So that's obviously what got you into tennis, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. They, but they both got me into it, but I was also lucky just with all the coaches. I mean, when I started taking coaching early on, um, you know, the Joe Becknell's Woody, Blo Woody Hoblitzel, Mike Leach, Danny Alea, um, Evo. I mean, I, I, I had so many coaches, uh, Jerry Baskin, gosh, I mean, I love coaches from Baskin top to bottom that I all took from, and I'm probably leaving some out. So if they ever see this, I apologize if I forgot to mention you. They can, uh, they can call us and come on the show and, and exactly, make sure. Exactly. Exactly. We know that Kip is one of their products. Yeah. And they, I mean, just 
I think from that coaching also kind of kept me around the game and also inspiring to one day be a coach myself. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I was on the, uh, growing up in Atlanta myself, I was on the, in the Gwinnett side. Yep. So I was Dave Matthews and a lot of the guys over here. And you mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned the, the clubs that I know now because of that Marietta side. But when I was a kid, that was the other side of the world. No, it was. And, and I know you didn't even ask this question, but that, that brought me up this way. Um, you know, I know we, we, we all have a mutual friend in Billy Pate, but Billy Pate was my assistant coach in college. And, and actually, when I left, my first pro coaching job was the Tucker Racket Health and Fitness Center in Tucker, Georgia, straight okay. out of college. I was charging a whopping $25 for an hour private, and I got 100% of it. That's nice. And I thought I'd made it. Mm-hmm. Thought I'd made it. <laughs> That's and, what I charged uh, for my first tennis lesson too. Yep. And then literally left there. Billy hired me. Um, he and Angela Owens and, and, and went to the concourse athletic club at the King and Queen buildings. And that's where probably the real coaching career began there with those guys and where I ended up meeting my wife there also. So 22 oh, nice. years ago, almost to the day. That's fun because that's you were a few years ahead of me playing in this area, but we would have known each other by name only really anyway, because we'd see each other twice a year at well, where was that uh, at North Fulton and South Fulton. And that was basically right. all we'd run into each other or some pro-am. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. And I was thinking, thinking back, that's fun. Um, well, we're bringing in guys like you to have the most interesting conversations we can possibly have. The interesting thing about that is I haven't figured out who decides what an interesting conversation is. <laughs> so we, we've crafted magic questions to like lead us along the path to get us there. And my favorite question right now, and Bobby agrees with me, it's our current favorite question. And we'll, we'll throw it at you to see where this leads us. And we've got a few minutes, we can let it ramble on if we need to talk as long as we need to talk about something interesting. If you were the king of tennis, what would you change? Man, well. King of tennis, anything anything in the world. Maybe maybe a a flat out here's, here, you know what? We need to just abolish this completely. And again, nobody's king of tennis, so we don't get to hold anybody accountable. And maybe the idea leads to something more reasonable. Right. It's kind of two part. Right. So one of the biggest things that has driven me crazy from being a coach, especially with somebody who's new to tennis, whether it's and mostly kids, but also adults, I would say is the scoring. I would change the score to a more simplified way. When you're trying really? to teach a kid, I love watching my little seven and eight year olds when we start doing scoring for the first time. And I go 15, 30 and they all go. 45. And I go, no, 40. And they all look at me and they look over at their parents and they look back (laughs) at me like, no, you're kidding. It's a joke, right? And then all of a sudden you throw in the word deuce or the add in, add out. And and from a coach's standpoint of um, trying to teach them the game quicker, that's one thing. The second thing, and it's it's more of a modern day issue that I have, is the new lines. I cannot stand the blue lines on the tennis court for the kids. I love the ball idea. Love the orange, green dot, red dot. I get all that. That makes sense to me. I get it. The lines are ridiculous. They're confusing for kids to try to teach the newbies. 
not just that, but if you've ever noticed, if you're standing on the blue baseline of a kid baseline on one side and you try to look over and find the blue line on the other side, it is very difficult to do. So if you're the kid on the other side, you don't even know if your shot's in or out most times. You don't even know if it's that, that close. So that also bothers me because you could have a kid not telling the truth and saying out when the ball was not even an inch in, but a foot in. And you wouldn't I think know I know that kid. Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we all do. Absolutely. So those are my – I know that's twofold. Those are the two things. If I'm king of tennis, I'm making those changes. I like it. You know what I want to do? I'm going to throw Bobby – Throw Bobby a softball here. You pick one, I'll take the other. Uh, well, the first one is easy. I always use the line when people ask me about the scoring. I say, well, remember, the French invented the game. So there's no need to go any further. Très vrai. <laughs> and as far as the balls are concerned, from a coaching perspective, it's frustrating you're telling the kid to swing out, and yet we're giving them loaded ammunition and then not allowing them to swing and hit the ball as hard as they can because we've shortened the court. So it's... Oh, but we have to make it fair for everybody. It's yes. got to be it's got to be equal playing field. We can't have the kid who's dominating anymore because it's not fair to to little Johnny. Little Johnny, got to be got to be careful. <laughs> little Johnny came home, he's Johnny. upset. Yeah. Little Johnny's upset cuz he got beat really bad. But uh -huh. I'd like to just tell little Johnny, "Hey, work harder, get better." That's very it's very fatherly of you. The, you oh, are you going to give him a motherly hug? Yeah, exactly. No participation trophies in the Cobb household. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll go the opposite route from Bobby because I can, I'll take the other side of both of your ideas. Okay. The scoring, and maybe this is how we try to figure out the, the evolution from why we do the kids starting with just learning a tiebreaker. Number one, I think that's perfect because mm. a tiebreaker is probably actually, I think, more confusing for the kids with uh -huh, the switching yeah. of the serve and, and how it works. So learning the tiebreaker, I also think the tiebreaker is the most important game we play in tennis, considering when it's played and what it, what it means. So starting the kids with that and the length of the scoring, I like it. Now that's not a, no, if you were king of the world, I'd vote against. Do you get, do you vote against Kings? I don't, I don't think it works that way. You don't get a vote. <laughs> no, I just got to hope I'm the court jester and not the guy who gets his head lopped off. Exactly. Um, I think tennis scoring is the most genius thing ever invented. Hmm. I think it is absolutely elegant. It allows to actually track and score and reward momentum. As a basketball guy, Bobby, you're a basketball guy, right? I just made yeah. that up. As Base, about your quick, quick, pretend to be a basketball guy. As sure. a basketball by guy, Bobby, if you have this momentum in this basketball game and the swings and the excitement. And at the end of the game, you lose by one. You can't look at the score and, and know anything about the game, but you could look at tennis score. You look at a tennis match and go, what happened there? Oh my gosh. It's the, I win the set seven, six. And then all of a sudden what happens? I'm down love three. Mm. And I got to figure that. I think it's so elegant. Is it confusing? Sure. And it comes down to the tennis coach to be able to learn seven or eight different ways to teach it. Right. But I think it's beautiful. I think it's an absolutely wonderfully elegant system. And yes, we can blame the French. Yeah, man, it is a really cool concept. Yeah. And I, and I like the 
overall match score idea of the numbers. It's more the in-game scoring that I probably have more of a problem with. Mm. But you're, you're right. I think what is amazing about the scoring of tennis is that um, sometimes the 6-2-6-2 score doesn't tell the complete story of the match. Sure. Um, if, if you were charting a match and, and broke that down, that match could have been separated by 10 points. You never know. I mean, yeah. I'm not, maybe I'm not doing the math correctly there, but I mean, you could have a 6 2 6 2 match. Sounds about Every right. single game goes to deuce. The chances of it being eight points, you get my drift. The two games that you won could have been 40 love games. And, yeah. and all of a sudden, those total point scores could actually level out a little bit. But that side of it, like more of the end game thing, I have a problem with. with the, the, the So, what if we go, what, what did we do? We did the, the no ad scoring where it was simply one, two, three. And then yep. the next point one, we could do one, two, three, and then do either deuce hmm. and advantage or tied and advantage. Yep. If we just take out 15, 30, 40. And if we just take out those words, yeah. we still keep the tie. So I'm not playing a game where it's all right, seven to six, seven all, eight to six. That's, you know, I like the tied versus advantage because you're not worried about figuring out what number you're on. Yep. But maybe we just take out 15, 30, 40, call it one, two, three, still have the deuce concept. And we still get to to keep that flow. And yeah, you're right. My my response was more to the overall scoring, the set concept. I think personally, sure. I think hockey should be won in the same way. You need to win two out of three quarters. Hey, there you go. Are there three quarters? Three three no. periods. Periods. Three That's periods. right. A quarter didn't sound right. Why are there only periods. three quarters? That's how much of a hockey guy I am. It's it's it, that you just did the uh, same as like a, a calling it a soccer game instead of a match. Uh huh. Yeah. Same yeah, type of I deal did. there. So you got to win two out of yeah. three quarters in a in a hockey match. <laughs> well, and it's funny that you said it the way that you did. That's actually one of the ways that I coach kids who are really struggling with the fifteen thirty forty flow is that I will let them play a game and call it one zero one one, and that also helps teach with the whole odd and even. Sure. Of even being on the deuce, odd being on the ad. Yep. Um, and it is an easier way to maybe once they get that down and understand what side of the court they're serving to and where they're receiving, then you start getting more into the 1534 and the and the proper uh, scoring. It, it's a little bit easier because some kids, they just look at it, they're baffled. But, you know, if you just use basic numbers, it's a little bit easier to coach. Yeah, I agree with that. Bobby, you see the same thing at Windermere? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that's always great when they start playing out their USTA. That's a lesson is dedicated to teaching them how to keep score, when to change sides on a tiebreaker. But it also leads to the originality and uniqueness of tennis. Mm -hmm. It's true. Absolutely. That is true. It is unique. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I'd, I think I'd agree with you, Kip, on the, on the blue lines. And I get where they're coming from. Because if you've ever tried to play on a full court with pressureless tennis balls, it's really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, even with an adult tennis racket, hitting a ball that far isn't that easy. No. But then also you end up with it. It's not like soccer. They learn a different scoring on a different side. I mean, the, the soccer court is obviously smaller. Right. And you don't have to win a half, like winning a set. But you're not learning a completely different thing when you, when you age up. Sure. Right? It's like the eight and under tennis looks, it's scored and it's sized and it's using different equipment than the very next level. And then the same thing when you go up. So it's, we've, we've created four different concepts. Yeah. The kids have to learn as they progress. 
Yeah, and I get it, and I know that they looked at other sports, right? I mean, they, they looked at football, and you look at peewee football and know it's not a 100-yard field, right? They, they, they shorten the field up. Um, basketball, they use half courts instead of full courts. So I understand the philosophy of it, but I think that was something in other sports that have been doing that for a very long time, where tennis, to me, because I grew up playing probably with a racket that was much bigger than I was, and then also at the same time, a court being regular size, you learned how to hit the ball. And I don't mind the ball system um, and the ball colors, but man, the lines are tough because I see a lot of kids that I coach and, and the kids that can really hit the ball and strike the ball well, um, struggling to keep the ball within the blue lines. And I think it's almost a detriment to your better players where it does give an advantage to a kid who can't hit it as well. So I guess that's my biggest pet peeve from, from just from a coaching aspect. And you see that consistently with the orange dot balls on the 60 yeah. foot court. They're still struggling because those balls don't go all that far. No, they don't go that far, but I mean, you gotta, you gotta, I've got a couple seven, eight year olds that can really hit the ball. Well, just trying to watching them kind of struggle when I think they've hit a pretty from a coach's eye. Wow. You really struck that well. And it still went a foot and a half out. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you're almost like, okay, well, okay. So here you now from a control standpoint and maybe slowing it down a little bit. Yeah. There's some, some coaching advantage there to like to help them. Hey, but at the same time, when you wash and strike it, well, God, that shouldn't have gone out. You want to encourage it. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess that's my big, my big beef with it. So that takes me to something that Bobby and I talk about a lot. And I'll, this one, I didn't send you ahead of time. I am curious what you think uh -huh. about this is I'm not worried about whether or not the ball's in or out because I want these kids not competing. I want them perfecting their technique. Mm. So from my point of view, I have a lot of our 10 and unders and eight and unders with orange dot balls that are kind of playing on a full size court. I'm not worried about yeah. the blue lines at all because I'm actually encouraging them not to go play tennis matches. I'm encouraging them not to go toward leagues because I watch them. And as soon as they start keeping score, their technique is right out the window. Yeah. yeah. Do you see the yeah. same thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I see that even more with more of my teenage kids than I see it with my younger kids especially young ladies of almost struggling more in match play and getting a little bit more conservative, but stay on topic and talk about, you know, with the lines, I, I agree with you. And I, it's probably something I don't discuss too much with the kids in lessons. It's more internal that bothers me about the lines. And I even like to mix in using different versions of if a kid's a red dot ball I mix in green and, and also orange. Sometimes I even have a practice with real ball just so they adjust to it and, and or I guess exposed to it earlier on uh, so it's not such a shock to their system when they start playing with it. And even do some real court at times. So do you, I, I like your philosophy of not really worrying about the balls being in or out, but you know, perfecting the form. That's something Bobby and I talk about a lot. And I, I know that goes against, and this is one of the concepts within this podcast that we want to be able to have this conversation because I'm, I know USPTA isn't necessarily going to agree. And USPTA yeah. <laughs> in the same way, they want kids in leagues because that's what they do. Right. So to have any coaches saying, all right, guys, the longer you don't play a match, the better your technique will become ingrained and your long-term benefits of your coaching, I think are more efficient that way. 
I don't know that we get a good response from USPTA or USTA if we start making comments like that. Uh, I would. Agree By we, I mean you. me. So I'll take complete credit well, for making that comment. Yeah, they're trying to grow the game, right? So yeah. and them just practicing doesn't involve them. <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're right. I mean, they they want them in leagues as much as possible, and that's why you see so many flex leagues and everything else popping up now. Everybody's coming up with a new way to play tennis, you know. But at the end of the day, I've always just. I guess one of the taglines, it's just tennis. Play it the way it should be played. Not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Come on. Right. But Bobby, what, what was the uh, the comment from the conference of like trying to convince yourself that you're really important? That that goes against, hey guys, it's, oh. it's just a sport. Yeah, well, the coaches, wow. so much of it is coach driven. How can we make it? It's our failing. And I was like, that's, that's a lot to put on us. And without acknowledging there's another player involved, you know, you're, you're over-exaggerating your importance and you're under, you're under, hopefully if you're the, if your player becomes a star that you have a bigger role in it. Yeah. I, I believe in Nick Boletari. He looks for the kid who's the most competitive because that's an impossible thing to teach. Yeah. I can teach your forehand. I cannot teach you. I cannot give you heart and teach contempt. Yeah. And mm. Not that you'd want to, but it's the, you know, the Bobby Fisher had contempt for his opponents. It was, I'd rather spit on you than lose to you. And I, (laughs) and I, and you'd see the, you'd see two brothers and you see the one kid that was like, I'm not losing to this other kid. And the other kid was the nice kid. Yeah. I like the nice kid better as a person, but he's not going to go as far as the kid that just hates to lose. Well, and you sisters. Yeah. 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 I mean, That's true. When Richard was interviewed and you know, Venus was the elder, she was coming on tour and everybody was excited about venus and richard looked at the camera and said yeah but there's another one it's home that's as mean as a snake where do you see her <laughs> and you know it here's serena competing at 37 38 years old Hills are not what they were but boy but you're never going to find a better competitor who's somebody who wanted to win and and even throw jimmy connors into the the formula of that's how they won contempt we're going to show you and i think that's a that's a champion they find different ways to win but one of the more effective ways historically yeah. has and, been. And my wife won't find that tolerable. She said, we're not teaching our children that. I mean, that's just yeah. not going to be how she's going to view the world. I'm like, okay, well, we'll never have a number one in the world tennis player as a child, which is fine. But some parents aren't going to want that for their children. And that's probably necessary, a necessary component. Probably not a thing that we deal with as we working with the, the seven-year-olds or the 14-year-olds that aren't necessarily on an ATP path. No. The other thing that, that, that you guys probably find too is, is not being afraid to put your kids in a position to fail. I enjoy probably getting my teeth kicked in at an early age and playing 18 and unders when I was 12 and 13 playing Alta because Alta, if you were a good tennis player back when we played Alta, junior Alta, um, you won a lot. The competition was so, and there were so many kids playing at that time and the levels were so all over the place mm-hmm. that your win percentage was probably 90% plus. And, well, and you like finally you said would, the playing on the yeah. 18 and under team, I was the 12 year old on the, on the 16 and under team, not yes. because I was just that good, but because the talent wasn't quite there in Alta yet. Absolutely. And I'll, and I still can remember some city final matches of, um, and y'all probably don't remember this name and I, gosh, I haven't heard his name in forever. I'm just thinking about him now, but I mean, the first city finals I won at probably 11 or 12 and I beat Murphy Payne who used to play out of Indian Hills and I beat him in the finals. I'd never beat the kid ever, ever. I played him in several tournaments. 
Never beat him. And on this day, man, I couldn't miss and beat him eight, three down at the cab tennis. Center, uh, that's a good feeling, you know, to, to, to win the city finals. And I'll, and I'll never forget that memory, but you know, my parents at an early age, were playing different sports too, and competing and competing. Um, you know, I, we wanted to go outside the box. I wanted to go play in tournaments and get beat, you know, and that, and that was okay. But now well, that's you a see personality a lot of kids, type. You have to be able to handle that. Well, and that was back to y'all's point too, like with the Boletari, you know, theory of, of of that competitiveness and that hunger and that everything else. Because now with our society, we want to keep our kids in in certain areas, not just tennis, where they succeed, and not let them step out of that little bubble. And yes. there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, I know lots of kids who they're they're taking private lessons, they're going to academies, they're but they're only playing in flex leagues and outlet. They're not playing in tournaments. They're not going to compete against the big dogs. And to me, I think it, it, I guess it depends on the goal, but I always ask a kid early on and the parents, what's the end game here? What are we, what are we striving for? Are we, are we just trying to stay in shape? Do we just want to be introduced to the game? Do we want to make the high school team? Are we going for a college scholarship? Um, and, and usually it's one of those things, right? I mean, every once in a while, you got the parent who thinks their kid's the next Andre Agassi or, you know, yeah. Serena or Venus Williams. But I mean, I, I don't see that as much as I used to. Sure. So we're closing it down. I'm at a hard stop at two o'clock. My wife needs her, uh, needs her studio back. <laughs> um, at this point, Kip, you have, uh, you've tolerated us and you're, it sounds like you're, similar to us that we could probably go on for another few hours if we really uh, if we really wanted to and thankfully the weather uh timed itself well for our conversation because <laughs> yes, none yeah. of us are itching going i should be on the court right now i should be on the court with the rain nope. is, is how it is um but now's your kind of your time for self-promotion what's uh and we've got uh four minutes what's sure. uh what's otr doing on the rise what's yeah. uh what's your deal what's your world yeah, kind of cranked this back up. Um, I, I've, I found myself back coaching tennis full time. Um, I've always stayed in it, but just recently uh, with uh, COVID and everything else and furloughed from my whole job, uh, started on the rise tennis. So I'm owner operator out here in Sewanee, Georgia. Got a little four court facility. Um, I, I'm probably unique and I've got high performance kids. I've got brand new beginners. I got cheerleaders, lacrosse players. I've got adults beginners to you know intermediate to high level um i'm a little I, I teach a little bit of everything um so you can find i've got a website being built now but from a social standpoint everything you can find at kip cobb tennis and that's uh literally the 10 spelled out so at kip cobb one zero s and uh those are everything from twitter youtube everything can be found there and uh and I do have a Facebook page that's on there as well with that same tagline. And we'll have a website up shortly. Good. I was wondering, I checked out the website as well. And I found an on the rise tennis in Minnesota or something. But I assumed yeah, that yeah. wasn't you. No, nope, that's thought, not uh, me. It will guys, be soon though. It good, will be good, good. soon. Yeah, there is, uh, I think there that's is the no modern LLC concept. in Georgia. That's right. There is no LLC in Georgia. It looks like the two previous owners are no longer from okay. what I can find. That's, that's next. Right. I like it. That's good. Got to have yeah. that going. Got to have the website. I see your your Facebook presence is pretty good. We interact quite a bit. I like your drop shot yeah. challenge and things like that. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> Got to make it fun, man. Got to keep it interesting. Absolutely. And I think this is uh, this is the kind of thing that'll help a lot of us because, like I said, 
I'm saying it a lot because I want to, I want to change as much of the culture as I can. I did this with my own business in the extracurricular world in, in preschools and elementary schools. It was very, I don't cutthroat sounds, you know, hyperbolic, but it was, what's mine is mine. And you know, like there's no, there's no cooperative nature of we're here for the kids or we're here for the families. And the, the concept now that I have, which is go, which is how can we help you? How can ankle biters as an example, help on the rise? How can Windermere partner with what you're doing in the neighborhoods there? How can we all be friends rather than worried about this is my client and this is your client? Man, I'm, I'm open and I'm all game for that. I, I encourage kids to take from other coaching and, and, and because I think um, I might say something differently um, to a kid than you are. And sometimes it just connects. So I'm, I'm always open to doing things and, and, you know, working together. I, I've never uh, had the philosophy of, oh, this is my kid. He can't go anywhere else or whatever else. The so same thing with adults, you know? I mean, yep. it's, you know, look, go get a different opinion. I, and I love that. So I encourage it. And I love working with you guys and really appreciate y'all having me on. And that's a good jumping off part for another day, Kip, because of the position in Atlanta, we're just not kid-based. We, we see a lot of the same things, scenarios, but they're playing out with adults, which brings in an entirely different set of egos and management of people. So it, it makes for an interesting occupation for us down here and uh, another day. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. We'll, we'll bring him, we'll bring Kip back as well. Uh, I really appreciate you making time. It's a fun new, uh, fun new type of conversation, which is, hey, let's, you know, if I'm being honest, Let's actually be honest as we do this and uh, we'll definitely do it again. But I appreciate you guys making time. And, and Sean, we will, if I uh, can give a quick shout out because you yeah. mentioned his name quite a Kick bit and just to, to give us all some props because he's a great guy. So everybody knows Billy Pate got me my first job as well. Kip is he's a mentor of ours. Billy is was yeah. a former head coach at Alabama and he's the current head tennis coach at Princeton. So we had a pretty good mentor to learn from. Yeah. So, and hopefully Billy Great will, guy. will join us someday as well. But so Let's just bring him on. Kip learned from one of the better ones that are out there in the industry. So sure did. We appreciate you coming on, Kip. I appreciate it, guys. And All right, guys. Thank uh, you. we'll see you next time. Have a great week. Yeah. Have a see great day, guys. Thank you. See you guys.